Today's episode of No Sleep Till Belmont is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Islanders tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. Welcome, Islander fans. Welcome, hockey fans. This is No Sleep Till Belmont, the Islanders podcast from The Athletic. Uh, this is Arthur Staple, Islanders beat writer from The Athletic. And let me introduce to you my co-host, the esteemed Mark Parrish. Mark. <laughs> esteemed. I like yes. that. Esteemed. I don't get called that in my own house very often. <laughs> you can tell this is the first one because we're being nice to each other. So, um, How's it going, Mark? Uh, tell us what you've been up to in the last few years since we last saw you uh, around a rink, I guess. You know, it's nothing too exciting. It's just being a dad. And I'm back in the rink more now with my kids than I ever was as a player. And I love it. <laughs> now I can just be the cheerleader. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, um, we're going to have lots of great stuff from not only Mark's playing career, uh, his playing career with the Islanders, my time hanging around with the Islanders for the last nine seasons. This is season number nine coming up, uh, season number three with The Athletic. And uh, yeah, we're going to bring you all kinds of great Islander information, insight, interviews, some other words that begin with I, maybe. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a blast. I'm really, really excited. Mark's excited. Um, it's pretty special that we've got such a great former Islander to, to co-host this thing and, and carry us through the whole year. This is a special episode that we're doing because opening night is, uh, is today against uh, the Washington Capitals at the Coliseum. Um, you're going to get your Apple, Spotify, wherever podcasts every Tuesday. And then Friday for a- athletic subscribers will be the special one where we'll have some guests, we'll have some stories, we'll have lots of good stuff. So uh, without further ado, Mark, are you ready to talk some Islanders? I'm ready. I've been waiting years to talk more Islanders. I love it. All right. Uh, so yeah, I think we're just going to dive right in. It's opening night tonight. Uh, the Caps are coming to the Coliseum. Uh, the Islanders set their roster a couple days ago. There was uh, not too much intrigue with this roster, given what they came into camp with. But, uh, Mark, you know, I, I guess we'll start maybe with the forwards, which is kind of the area the Islanders needed maybe a little bit more improvement uh, on the roster than they got. Really, the only addition was Derek Broussard. And Derek Broussard in, Val Philpola out on the third line, and most of the rest of the guys are the same. So where do you see them up front right now? I, I like what they have going on. Obviously, last year with the changes that Trotz came in and did defensively, they didn't score the goals that they did under Doug Waite. But obviously, the record kind of speaks for itself with how they played last year, the goaltending, everything that they had in their D zone. And that's where you build a team. And the scoring will start to come. That's the, the, the tricky thing, even when I was coaching high school, is trying to get the kids to understand that if you're in the right spot defensively, you are also in the right spot offensively. Barzell's another year older, Beauvillier, they're going to have more chemistry, Bailey, and I like the Broussard. Broussard, he got bounced around a little bit last year, but he's been a part of a winning organization, obviously, being in Pittsburgh, and he knows what it takes to go the distance, and you need those players in your room. Yeah, you know, I I kind of think, um, you know, they got so much from their bottom six last year, you know, Casey Sezikis with 20 goals, Philpola, uh, I think he had 17 goals, he shot like 22%. 
Um, you know, they got they got some key contributions from from those guys in the bottom six, and and you know, I think the the point of bringing in guys like Philpola and Leo Komarov, and then trading back for Matt Martin was not necessarily we're going to get tons of offense from these guys. It was, you know, and, and Lou Lamarillo and, and Barry Trotz seem to be very much on the same page of we're bringing in these guys to show everyone else how to be a pro. And and maybe that's a little insulting to guys like Brock Nelson and, like you said, Josh Bailey, even Anders Lee, who they named captain. Guys who have been here for a long time who, who could probably say to themselves, hey, I think I know what I'm doing here as a pro. We've been around a long time. But, you know, it's it's the culture change aspect of it, and I'm sure you've been through it. Uh, on some of the teams that you were with, but but is it is it a little bit insulting or is it a little bit challenging more to say like when you bring in guys like that and then maybe a veteran like Broussard the next year to say we're gonna we're gonna have these guys show you the ropes a little bit. I I remember it being exciting. I, I loved having guys in the room that have been there, done that. They 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 have a calm demeanor when it comes to the playoff time because I mean obviously uh, I never got out of the first round so I would need somebody to kind of help me out in that situation as a younger guy or just playing again but I liked it it was it was fun you bring in guys like that you're sending a message that one you're the culture obviously and two you want to win and you want to win now you don't go out and get these guys just to take room for young guys or uh, take away a spot where you could develop somebody you want to win and you want to win now yeah, it's uh, it, it's an interesting dynamic, and it certainly worked well last year. It, it, there's definitely a question, and I think you know when you come off a summer uh, where some of the other teams around them in the division have made major changes. The Devils obviously, you know, overhauled a lot of their roster, got the first overall pick in an exciting young guy in Jack Hughes. Philly has an exciting young guy in Net. They've got a pretty decent roster. They have a coach in Elaine Vigneault who's a lot like Trotz. Doesn't miss the playoffs very often. Uh, the Rangers got. Capo Caco and made a huge trade for Jacob Truba and they still have Lundquist in net. So um, when the Islanders don't do a whole lot, uh, do you think that there's still room for these guys to grow? I guess is, is a big question. A lot of people have asked me and I'll ask you too. what, you know, can these guys that they've had, um, you know, you've got Anders Lee who scored 40 before, but went has kind of gone down the last couple of years. Um, you've got Brock Nelson who's coming off a good year. You've got Eberly who's coming off a very mediocre year and then shined in the playoffs all you know these guys that they made sure to bring back can they take it to the next level that's the step that's what you assume and you're going to hope for obviously and they proved it the, the most important part is belief in yourself belief in your team and they did that last year once they got to the second round they played spectacular in the first round and they got to the second round two more rounds and they're in the cup finals you get that close you know that you get the taste you can just smell it and you want to just keep climbing that ladder yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think if you're looking at this this group and, and just kind of, you know, taking the temperature throughout training camp, they've got a young guy in Michael Delcall who, um, you know, emerged this kind of reemerged as a prospect again last year and, and played, I think, 30-something games at the NHL level, um, you know, had okay numbers. He was playing mostly in a third-line role. And he comes into camp, and, and they haven't added anybody, on, especially on the wings where they're a little bit thin. So they've got him. They've got Josh Hosang, who we'll talk a little bit more about in a minute. Had some news happen on Thursday with him. Um, and they've got Bovillier, who you mentioned. Three young guys who, you know, Bovillier is a little more established and the other two guys kind of fighting for maybe one available roster spot. And Dalcol wasn't very good at the beginning of camp. He was a bit of a slow starter. And I think uh, for Trotz, it kind of harkened back to he was pretty invisible to Trotz at the beginning of camp last year. You've got a, a coach who's coming off winning a Stanley Cup and clearly knows how to identify talent. And you've got your kids come in. Dalcol and Hosang were both 
gone to Bridgeport within about a week of the start of training camp last year, so it wasn't even a consideration. And then the kid goes down to Bridgeport and lights it up a point per game, comes back up, you know, bounces back a little bit, but makes himself stick towards the end. So you think maybe this is going to be a guy who's either, you know, third line left wing, second line left wing, but he didn't really, I don't think anybody really saw it right away in training camp, which kind of brings those questions back up about maybe they needed to go out and get somebody. I mean, obviously they did, they took a big swing at Artemi Panarin over the summer and he went to their rivals, uh, the Rangers, but you know, you kind of see that if they're not going to take a swing at anybody else on the wings, they've got to have somebody internally that can that can turn it up. And and so he's probably going to be starting on either second line tonight, maybe third line. Um, you know, Bovillier's worked well with Broussard, I think, in camp, and that's kind of a pairing uh, that Trotz likes on the third line. So, uh, you know, the, the top line with Lee and Barzal and Eberly has been kind of together since camp started and has been really good, you know, in the preseason. But, uh, you know, I, I do wonder if they can find some scoring in there to match the, the very fortunate scoring that they got from their, their middle six last year. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're always hoping for that depth scoring. I mean, you had a fourth line last year that many, many nights were their number one line. I mean, they were yeah. flying. You can see in, even in the playoffs. And you need that because you can't rely on Barzell, Lee, those guys every night. They're just not going to have it every night. It's impossible. And uh, to go back to the whole saying, and yeah, you, you want that uh, scoring. Everybody gets a little excited, uh, so excited about the scoring and his numbers and his minor leagues, but where's his intent? Where's the rest of his game? He cannot be a defensive liability. Lou Lamarillo, Barry Trotz know better than anyone else. He cannot be a defensive liability. And whatever he's doing, whether it's his decision making in the neutral zone, not coming in ready to play, ready to just kind of jump up and. St- just take a spot. That's I guarantee you that's part of it with Barry Trotz. He's looking for a guy, if he takes that step, is he ready to be an NHLer? Or does he even want to be an NHLer? How bad do you want it? And how hard these guys work. They come in such good shape that now it's not get in shape in camp anymore like us old guys. It's come <laughs> in and earn your spot or you're gone. you're gone. And that's just the way it is. You know, it, it's funny when I think you see all the stuff with the with the RFAs around the league and all the money they're committing now, whether it's Mitch Marner or Miko Rantanen, these guys that just signed kind of in the last week or so. I think mm-hmm. people people get a little seduced and thinking like, all right, it's it's a league for for twenty one year olds and twenty two year olds, and it it really still isn't. I mean, it's and it's you know maybe you can call Lou a dinosaur, you can call Barry Trotz a guy who prefers his veterans and wants to see his young guys take the proper steps but I think you look around I mean you you know there's there's a kid in Philly Joel Farabee who who was you know lit it up in college last year and turned pro and everyone in Philly's you know licking their lips about getting to see this kid play he's in the minors to start it it just it's a process and and it's such a it's such a cliche to say it and I hear it all the time but it's a it's a phrase that actually means something to people like Barry Trotz and people like Lou Lamarillo and it's very frustrating for fans to hear because they get so juiced up about the young guys and we'll, we'll get we'll get to one of the guys in Noah Dobson in a minute when we start talking about the D but but I think you know it from from just watching you know when you played it was a veterans league and those were the guys that got paid and those were the guys that got the big minutes unless you were like a superstar young guy bursting out of the gate and now there's yep. so many good young players that get a lot of minutes I think people assume that once you've got a guy with some skill boom you're going to plug him in you know, Josh Hosang is going to play 14, 15 minutes a night. He's going to be on the first power play because he's got the skill, and that's just not it. I mean, even Matthew Barzal last year wasn't—he wasn't the leading 
ice time guy among their forwards. I don't even think he was second or third. You know, it was, it's a process even for guys who are coming off a Calder trophy. Um, so it's, it, you know, I think it's taken some adjustment from Islander fans who were, who are maybe used to a little bit looser style of, uh, organization, <laughs> you know, I, no criticisms at Garth Snow from, from here. He was a teammate of yours. I covered no, no, him no. for a long time. And the guy, the guy's a smart guy and was a good general manager and worked with some very bizarre constraints for a long time. Uh, and Dougie, obviously Doug Waite knows the game almost as well as anybody. Um, so it's uh, it, it's fascinating to me, I guess, to see how people view this stuff um, from the outside, where they assume that you know, well, I don't like this GM; he's incompetent. And then the guy comes in like Lou with thirty years' experience, and, and well, I trust him. And then he does pretty much the same thing as the previous GM, and everyone's <laughs> like, "All right, well." Um, but yeah, anyway, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. The the one of the toughest things for fan bases and for young players too is patience. You got you, those young guys aren't playing 15, 60 minutes. If Hosang is the scorer and he's not playing the big minutes, playing on the power play, playing that, and if obviously as a liability, they're not going to let him do that. He's got to play in the minors. They have to let him play because that's the only way he's going to develop. He's not going to develop into a player by sitting on the bench and playing five, six minutes. He's just not. So yeah. if, if he's not going to play a major role on the power play, if he's not going to be in a top six, and I. Uh, I, he wouldn't be a bottom six anyway, just his style of play wouldn't really fit very well in that. But that being said, it, it's, it's a patient thing. And now it, it's him. I obviously, uh, I don't want to go too far into that one, uh, but it's, it's easy for fan bases. That they question everybody. That's uh, one of the first things I learned uh, when I got to the NHL, that everyone is a critic. And I mean, everyone. Your wife's a critic, your parents a critic, your grandma's a critic. When you listen, yeah, they compliment you, but at the same time, they, they constantly question you. Once you accept that, then you just you go about your business. Hey, you got to accept the process, commit to the process, as Lou has done forever, and Barry Trotz, they, they both have you know the cup rings to prove it, and I, that's what we saw last year. The, the offense is going to come around. I don't think that's uh, as big a concern. I, I'm not worried about their offense at all. They're still learning to play D. They're, st- they're still learning how to play Stanley Cup champion hockey. Take a step this year. Maybe they don't have to focus on the D zone as much because it will become more natural in second hand, and they'll be ready to jump, create turnovers, and the offense will come. Yeah, and I think a way that they can improve it too is just having a functional power play. It was 29th yeah, last year, I think, 14, 14.5%. And, you know, I, I, I think when watching it to start, uh, it started out okay, actually, last year, and then just kind of fell into a lull. When you've got a guy like Barzell, you've got a guy like Everly, you've got a guy like Lee, who you know is, is still a, a huge role for a net front big body like Anders, um, mm-hmm. you think they've got enough skill to make at least one power play unit's worth of work and make it happen. And it just, there was a lot of, you know, they the setup they had, they had, Barzal and Everly on the same off-wing side. Everly was kind of on the goal line. Barzal's in the in the off-wing circle, and they had whether it was Bailey or Nelson in the on the opposite side, kind of the trigger man. And those are not trigger man guys. Like Brock has a great shot, but it takes a little he takes a little time to get it off. He's not a he's not a quick one timer kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, and then and then Letty up at up at the top, who's not really a shoot first guy. So you've got Barzal, you know, twirling and twirling and twirling, looking to make a play. Eberly kind of in a funky position where all he can do is either like come off the goal line and jam one in. Um, they just weren't, I, I think the way 
Barry kind of put it is that they weren't attacking. And now that I think the key phrase that got Jim Hiller in there, who was the Leafs assistant last year, who ran their power play, obviously with perhaps some more talent at his disposal than the Islanders have. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think he's a big addition and he's been a very voluble guy during training camp. He's, you know, they spend the last whatever half hour of the last 10 days or so of practice working on their power play breakouts, setups, you know, moving the puck through the zone. He's very vocal. Uh, it's a different dynamic than they had last year when it was really kind of a, a group effort on the power play. And then they've got Broussard. You know, they, Barry's been very careful to say we've got two units. There's no one and no two. You'd assume the one that Barzal is on is the one that's going to spend the most time on the ice, but he swears we're going to go with the one that's going well. Um, so you've got Broussard, you know, we've got Barzal on the off wing, still in his same spot. Broussard on the op- opposite wing, and he's a guy who does have a good trigger. Um, and really, it's more of a traditional one-three-one with like a bumper guy in the middle. It could be Letty, could be Pollock uh, on the other, the other unit. Uh, they've got Devon Taves at the top, who we'll talk a little bit more about. But it it, it is interesting to see. They seem to have more of a foundation this year, and they obviously need to because that's a, that's a just a free way to get more offense, and, and you've got to have it. For them to be as successful as they were last year with their power play is, is amazing. That's how good they were five-on-five. Yeah. Five. If you look across the league, you have to have a good power play to make it into the playoffs and go anywhere in the playoffs. Well, I guess Nashville <laughs> is pretty atrocious too, but it, it, it kind of looks at that too is how are these power play units, how are they not? And you, you just sometimes you just have off years. And things start to kind of go down. You start to second-guess a play. Then you're looking for a perfect pass. You're looking for the perfect shot. So you hesitate a little bit. And it only takes a split second for anything to get shut down in the NHL. It's just you can't have that hesitation. It's got to come natural. And I love how you, you talked about how they Barry said that they didn't force it enough. You don't necessarily want to force it, I guess. Maybe it wasn't his word, uh, the word he used. But simplify just get it in front of the net. That was one of my favorite times when Laviolette, he would get angry at us at the power play and finally be like, fine, guys, we're playing five on five. Just play five on five and take <laughs> it to the net. And it was amazing how many times it got us back going. And then, okay, we sat back, relaxed a little bit, weren't squeezing our sticks, and, and it would just get us out of that funk of just trying to force everything and trying to, you know, overplay, overanalyze, shoot when you should pass, pass when you should shoot. So I love that idea. And another part you brought up, I always get a kick out of this, is, uh, the first and second power play. I've never heard a coach in my life say, hey, first unit, get out there. <laughs> hey, second unit, get out there. Uh, now, obviously, you can tell which one's going to play more than minutes, so that's probably the first power play unit. But no one in the room looks at that. You, you, you look at your unit, and so, so many times you get bounced around and they get changed just to mix it up over the year that I you never go through your head. I wasn't always I wasn't worried if I was on a first or second unit. I just wanted to make sure I was one on one of the power plays. <laughs> you know, as I knew you're gonna get your opportunity either way. So yeah. I always get a kick out of that because I feel like that's a little bit overblown maybe in the in the public eye or the media or whatever you want to call it, because I've just I've never heard a coach say first or second power play. And I I, I and the you know the funny thing is is man, sometimes it just it just doesn't work out for a year. I wouldn't be surprised if they come back right away this year and they're top five in a power play. It's just, it's some years the puck just doesn't go in. I, I know I'd, I'd love to have a much better uh, expertise analysis of it, but it sometimes it just doesn't work. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it definitely, I think they, they definitely got into that mode of, of what are we doing here and yeah. and last year. And it just kind of, and it, it actually was pretty good in the playoffs. It, Carolina, I think that what do they score five or six goals in that sweep, and I think three or four of them are on the power play. So yeah. you just never know. Yeah. Um, 
Is there a guy for you among that forward group that needs to have? I mean, Barzal obviously is the, is the star of the group, but is there a forward or or a couple guys that you see in the roles that they have? You say this guy's got to have a big year, or they're going to be struggling a little bit. Uh, I don't know if there's. A, I think I got a couple of X factors. I I like the Broussard. I think you know he bounced around a little bit. I think he's going to come back and feel good about himself and kind of light a fire a little bit. When you get traded, which I have been a few times, and you get bounced around, you kind of realize that, you know, it's kind of nice to stay in one spot. Let's have a good year now, and I'm really going to focus, and I think he is going to come back and have a big year. But if there's one guy that, that it's Casey Sezekis. Uh, he he can he's an X factor. He can he can play when he gets going. He helps drive that that motor. He gets he brings in energy. He can he kicks in on offense. When he kicks in on offense, everybody goes. Yeah, yeah. That line. I mean, you know, he had the twenty goals, and Martin and and Clutterbuck didn't really put up big numbers. Yeah. But you know, looking up the the metrics on the available public sites all year, as I like to do. You know they have expected goals and all these things that are a little hard to figure out, but but it, yeah. it, you just you just know if you have a more than fifty percent of the whether whatever it's shots or chances or whatever you're doing the right things. Clutterbuck was around sixty percent in expected goals and and percentage of scoring chances, which is astonishing because that that line, as much as they've been together, you know, the, in Martin's first stint under Jack Capuano and then again last year. When it was when Cappy was had them together, he just wanted them to go out and kill everybody. Like get the energy going. Okay, if you run out of position, they weren't. They were. It was fourth line versus fourth line most of the time. And last year, Barry said, "You guys want to be together? You're going to be my shutdown line." So they're playing against Tarasenko. They're playing against Crosby. They're playing against McDavid, and nobody torched them last year. Uh, it, it was That's it was surprising. You know, they, these are older guys too. You know, yep. Martin's thirty, Clutterbuck's thirty-two. I mean, his his back kind of degenerated throughout the year. But and Casey, you know, the, these guys don't play in a way that says like we're going to be, you know, defensively sound and always in the right position. It doesn't scream that. But they they adapted so well. And talking to Clutterbuck throughout the year, um, you know, and and throughout the previous year, he 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 and and Doug have a good relationship and had a good relationship. But I think he he and and Zizekas felt a little lost the previous year. They just there wasn't enough structure there. Positionally, yeah. they didn't know where to go, and it was a very offense-driven team with Tavares and Barzal, and they kind of went with that and didn't. End, you know, when when the offense dries up as it does from time to time, they didn't really have any foundation to fall back on. So yeah, and that goes back to the structure, the the systems that Barry is putting in place. Obviously, it's tailor made for that line. It's not only you. You talk about your bottom six, especially your, your fourth line. You literally just don't get scored on. That's more or less any time you see a fourth line or you're on the fourth line, your job is just to not get scored on. Those guys see it as, let's go create some offense. Yeah. And that can't be under... It's, it's, it's unbelievable how amazing that is for a team to have that depth. Yeah, it's... Uh, you know, I can I can see why Barry wants to keep them together. I mean, it was kind of a, a, a no no-brainer for him coming out of his full first full off season as a coach where he says, all right, I'm coming into camp. And clearly he had, a, had an idea that the Lee Barzell Everly line that was good in the playoffs was going to stay together. And his fourth line was going to stay together. It limited the decisions they needed to make. And obviously those, those three guys, there was certainly some question about Clutterbuck coming off a of back surgery, whether he would be full go um, when camp started. And, and frankly, he seems to be doing pretty well. And um, I'm curious to see, you know, they're starting off with, 
Ovechkin and Backstrom and, and those guys. Uh, it's a pick your poison kind of night uh, tonight in the opener. <laughs> so we'll see where they are right away. Obviously, I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure you're going to see those guys take the opening face off like they usually do. And I, I love that. I, I've seen those guys take the opening face off fourth liners. It, it's it's hard to explain that the energy, the enthusiasm that gives the rest of the bench. It's like that you they're your family, they're your brothers, and when your fourth liners or so called fourth liners are the team that's getting you started, and that's why I talk about that Sezikis. It's open, winning the opening face off, most important face off of the game. Get it in and set the tone, and that line sets the tone like nobody else. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I think we've covered the forwards now. Uh, defense. There were certainly, uh, you know, coming into camp, you saw seven guys that came into camp that were Islander veterans, all on one-way deals, and then you had Noah Dobson, who was their twelfth overall pick uh, in June of 2018, who had just come off winning a second straight Memorial Cup, which, to most people in North America, uh, in the lower part of North America where we are, <laughs> doesn't mean a ton. But you know, to be able to do that, he he won the playoff MVP for the Quebec League. He's playing 30, 35 minutes a night uh, on their run to the Memorial Cup. It's it's unbelievable for a 19-year-old. So he seemed like he was he had a spot to lose, and we got towards roster cutdown day, and he, he didn't seem to do anything to, to take himself out of the mix, and they ended up putting Thomas Hickey on waivers, cleared waivers. He's in Bridgeport now, and they've got Dobson among their, their regular seven. I don't know if he's going to play tonight, but uh, where do you see them defensively coming off a year where a lot of the same guys that had been there that gave up the most goals that any team had given up in a decade in 1718 <laughs> came back and helped win a Jennings trophy in 1819, which is among like there's a dozen ridiculous things that happened between 1718 and last year. And that's definitely among them that like everyone says, Oh, they overhauled the defense. Like it was the same guys. That's I, I can't, can't give Barry Trotz enough credit. He yeah. came in with the exact same lineup and he understood what's the biggest problem we have giving up goals so he battened down the hatches he more or less retaught the team how to play defensive hockey deep style stanley cup winning hockey and that'll like i said that'll move forward and that there's nothing more of a team trophy than the jennings there isn't that yeah the goalies they'll be the first ones to tell you they get bailed out a lot by their players certainly they'll they'll get bailed out too but it's it's a it's a team win yeah yeah and and i think you know, they, they started last season, uh, Barry put Adam Pellick and Ryan Pollock together in training camp last year, and he said, these guys are going to be my top pair. I mean, they don't really have a clear number one or number two defenseman. Nick Letty was definitely the guy that logged the most minutes for a long time, and Johnny Boychuk was a pretty reliable sidekick there. But those guys are getting older, um, you know, and then they've got Scott Mayfield, not necessarily a top pair guy. Pollock has always kind of had that pedigree with, with a really good shot and, and a big body. But Adam Pellick is a guy that uh, that was a borderline NHLer for a couple of years, and Barry and Lane Lambert and John Gruden, who's the coaches their D, they saw something in these two guys in training camp last year. It didn't last. You know, they started off pretty well, <laughs> and then they were just getting run over by some really good top lines that they were facing, and they split them up. Pellick actually was a healthy scratch a couple of nights, but then by the Pittsburgh series. I'm going to say that Sidney Crosby knows who those – I mean, Sidney – Sid's not a terrible human being or anything. He's not uh, He's not out for revenge, obviously. But he knows who those two guys are. Like Adam Pellick, um, I, I believe it was Greg Cronin who was an assistant under Capuano for a long time. He nicknamed uh, Pellick the Cobra because he's this big, lean guy with a really long stick, and he just kind of snaps it in front of you. Um, you know, I, I remember talking to – 
to Tavares uh, his last year here, and and he had tons of good things to say about Adam Pellick, just like a, a guy who had a ton of potential as a defenseman, maybe was a little tentative getting up the ice, um, but, a, but a really good, solid guy. And, and Barry's main focus, like a lot of coaches, is to have you know left-right, maybe a stay-at-home guy paired with a guy who, who goes up the ice a little bit. But I think those two guys, what they've learned, and certainly they learned it towards the end of last season in the playoffs, is that either one of them can get up the ice. And Pellick has kind of a sneaky good shot. He's not going not gonna to score 10 goals or anything, but he can actually contribute. And I think mm-hmm. he's gained a lot of confidence at, in the defensive zone because he's one of those guys, like you were talking about, they play the system. The system that Barry has helps you know, players that are positionally sound. Maybe not the ones that have the most skill, but if you're all working together, the guy that's in the right place is going to thrive in, in that system. And I think Pellick is definitely one of those guys. Yeah, and Barry's always been a coach that he loves guys with a high hockey IQ. Obviously, I think every coach does, but especially when it comes to defense. Defense defense wins championships for a reason, and it's, <laughs> and it's harder to learn. It's easier to step into the game. I can't believe I'm giving him credit like this, but if I'm stepping in as a rookie as a wing, uh, your responsibility in the D zone is pretty easy. Watch that guy. Don't let him sneak behind you. As opposed to the defense, they have to read everybody. they got to find a breakdown. They got to be in, t- in sync with the goaltender. There's a lot of nonverbal communication between them, and it just takes some time. And it, I love the fact that, of course, Barry again he spots it early on, and they start to focus on those simple skills. Again, going back to positioning, that's just simple. These, where are you standing? Where are you waiting for the play? Where are you moving? When are you jumping in to break it up? And if you're in that right position, you're ready to go on offense. When any turnover or guy falls over, you're ready for that odd man rush. And as those D men join the forwards getting up that rush it just backs the other team off that much more yeah yeah and, and it's interesting to see now uh, again it's sort of you know barry's been here a while he, he just like you said simplifying not not yeah. overthinking things he's got those two guys together who finished the year together he's got devon taves who really came out of you know nowhere for i think a lot of people around the league uh, as a mid-round pick from a few you know an overage mid-round pick from a few years ago yeah emerged emerged you know 18 points in 48 games playing alongside Scott Mayfield, more of a stay-at-home guy who, who took some big strides again in that system last year. And then you've got Nick Letty, who who struggled under the weight of being the guy the last couple of years. You know, maybe, uh, you know, he still was doing some power play, and I think he, he took a little time to adjust to, you know, thinking D-zone first, but he, along with Johnny Boychuk, um, you know, a long-time pair, but, you know, again, being that, that pair left-right, a guy who can go with versus a guy who's more stay-at-home, it's uh, it's been an interesting transition for those two guys, and now, so I, I would imagine tonight you're going to see that those three pairs, you know, consistent pairs. Dobson, uh, you know, we were like we were talking at the top of the show, veterans. You know, it's a young yep. man's league, but you don't just get to jump in right away. And I think with Dobson, he certainly showed a lot. He played a ton of games in the preseason. He's played a ton of minutes, uh, like we were talking about last year in in junior, and you know, talking about whether they're going to send him back to junior because he doesn't have the option to go to the AHL since he comes from the Canadian juniors. To me, he's got to stay, and if he's staying, he's got to play. So I think it's it's fair of Barry to show some loyalty to a guy like Boychuk rather than just take him out of the lineup for the first game and put the kid in there, especially against a team like Washington. Um, yeah. But I think we'll we'll see Dobson before too long. Yeah, it, but you nailed it. They they've got to play him eventually. They can't. They're wasting him just sitting up in the press box. But being up in the press box early on, he's going to learn a lot. 
the game's very slow from up there. It's, it's a lot easier to see what's opening up, see what you can do. He can sit down, watch the positioning. I'm sure they're going to be working with a lot of video. I wouldn't be surprised if he's just sitting right next to a coach, whoever's up there. <laughs> And just, okay, you see that? Don't do that. You see this? That's see how his feet are. See how the positioning. See how he's turned. See where his heels are pointed. Things like that that are simple minor details that make an enormous difference. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, you know, he's he's a pretty calm kid. He he, he kind of belies his, his age with when you talk to him. And, and he's been a very, he's kind of been like that his whole life. He You know, he's from... PEI. He went off to San Diego to train when he was 15. He went to he went over to Austria to play for Red Bull. Um, he's been all over the world to to kind of advance his his hockey career, and that's uh, it, it's kind of it seems like it's rubbed off on him that he just has kind of a a calm about him that's a little different than a, your typical 19 year old. But there do seem to be some defensemen who are coming through like that now. Um, so yeah, I think I think we'll see him before too long. And I I also don't think you know Lewis said it, Barry has said it that. The amount that he played in juniors last year, you know, the junior coaches know what they have. They're gonna they're gonna ride him long and hard if he goes oh, back yeah. to junior. <laughs> and and Lou has said that's not what we want. We want this kid to develop. You know, he's still only nineteen. Uh, you know, you can see it with with a couple of other nineteen year olds that they picked. Oliver Wallstrom, who had a really good camp. He was in college last year. I suppose he could have ended up going to juniors but they want him close by he's going to be in bridge starting in bridgeport i wouldn't be surprised if we saw him at some point this year bodie wild another big defenseman right shot that they drafted in the second round two years ago uh, he's been nursing a high ankle sprain so he really hasn't trained very much and he, that could kind of cause him to end up going back to the ohl but he accomplished a lot in the ohl last year and they were very happy if he'd been healthy all through camp for him to start in the ahl as a 19 year old and their first round pick this year simon holmstrom out of sweden 18-year-old, he looks like he's about six years old when he came into camp, <laughs> and he really wowed a lot of people. I wrote, wrote a story last week where you know I had kind of pulled a bunch of the veterans about which was the young guy that, that kind of opened their eyes the most, and obviously Dobson and Wallstrom are the big names, but uh, but most of them said Holmstrom. They're really, he's, you know, he's 6'1", he's almost 200 pounds for an 18-year-old Swedish kid, really smooth, smart kid, very humble. And now they've just announced uh, this week that he's staying in Bridgeport instead of going back to Sweden. So they've got a bunch of teenagers down there that can all kind of grow together. And they certainly wish that Dobson could be one of them. But uh, but I think he's earned the right to be here. And, uh, you know, they talk about the nine-game uh, limit that you can play nine games before your contract gets activated. I think to me and to the Islanders, the 40-game limit where you burn your first year of your 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 service time towards free agency is a little bit more important. But uh, but I think of both of those things. This is a kid who's who's earned the right to be here, and it will be a tough decision to see who comes out. It's probably Boychuk. Uh, Letty and Dobson have worked a lot together in training camp, and that's an interesting kind of pair. Um, maybe bring some things out in, in Letty that he hadn't had to use before, being a little bit more of a stay-at-home guy with a much more mobile young kid alongside him. But um, but yeah, their D is, uh, I think, is is really underrated around the league, and, and not just based on last year. Obviously, they showed what they can do last year, but I think uh, adding Dobson to that mix, someone's going to get hurt. You know, they've got Hickey. I think it was kind of fortunate that they'd ended up losing him on waivers because he's such a savvy veteran guy to be called up and fill in where they need to. I think this is a group that uh, that has kind of established itself as as one of the better ones, certainly in the Eastern Conference. I could not agree more with you, man. It's a good thing I got on this podcast with you for crying out loud. No, I. We gotta fight. I, more. We gotta fight more. We gotta. We gotta uh, see if there's some more fights to have. Wait. Wait till the games start. 
Then we can start arguing over that. Uh, you know, it's uh, listening to obviously all the detail, all these young guys pushing the older guys. That internal competition and teams is very good for teams. It yeah. keeps everybody on their toes. Everybody knows they have to play. It gives Barry so many more options that if an older guy, if Boychuk or Boychuk, Letty or whoever it is, whoever it is, doesn't matter who the name is, is struggling a little bit. It's pretty simple. Like, all right, hey. Guess you're sitting up in uh, the press box for a game. And old guys don't like sitting in the press box. Yeah. We'll get into that at a later episode, obviously. Um, <laughs> all right. So moving on to the goalies, which uh, was a bit of a sore spot for a lot of fans this offseason because um, Robin Leonard obviously had not just an amazing year on the ice, but from the time that he published his first-person account of his previous six months of, you know, hell basically the personal hell that he went through um just to get to the point of of being on a on a roster for to start training camp last season from there to being on stage in vegas accepting the masterton accepting a share of the jennings it's it's an amazing story it's one of the one of the most incredible stories i've ever seen and a guy who's was so open about it too you know i'm you know i i I do wish he was still here from a personal standpoint because he's a great guy to talk to and seemed to um you know really be turning his personal life around in a, in a positive way. And then clearly that, that helped him on the ice. He was really receptive to what Mitch Korn and Piero Greco were talking about, had a career year. And I think he thought he'd found a home. And, uh, and then, you know, we get fast forward to July one and uh, he's kind of left holding the bag to get a one year deal in Chicago and the Islanders have Semyon Varlamov who lost the starting job in Colorado uh, at four times five, which seems like a lot for a 31-year-old guy. So um, where do you see their goaltending mark? And, you know, what did you, as an outsider, you know, maybe not paying the closest attention, see with that, that transition from, from Leonard of Arlamov and, and how that, you know, that mix might affect a team when they clearly bonded so much with a guy like Robin? Yeah, I was I was surprised as well. I, I got a chance to play with Robin one of my last years in Binghamton. Uh, he's a great kid, and obviously fighting some stuff. We didn't realize, and I feel bad that we didn't realize as older guys that how much he was actually going through. Uh, and I don't blame him for not opening it up at that point at all. I mean, it's, it's got to be one of the hardest things you're going to do. And seeing him turn that around, going to Long Island, uh, the way the support group was set up, the, and the character again the chemistry in the room i was i was pretty surprised that they didn't bring him back and you know it's good for him he gets to go to chicago on the one year deal uh i don't want to question lou lamarillo because he's done he's, it's lou lamarillo he's got to have some kind of reason for it i was a little surprised at the term from varlamov uh, but that being said you've got to have stability in your net you've got to, that's where you win you win up the middle starting from your goalie goalie defense centers and then here i am leaving the wingers out to last again <laughs> they're important too from what i understand. oh yeah we, yeah yeah real important <laughs> um, somebody's got to bury it that's right that's right it is interesting you know kind of from the coverage standpoint throughout the summer not throughout the summer but kind of in the in the days and weeks leading up to july one now that they have that contact period that's really where all the deals get done anyway uh is during that mm-hmm. five-day window nobody they say you can't talk numbers but you know, come yeah, on. Right. You're going to, you're going to, you know, you're not going to have your agent feel the call from Lou Lamarillo where he's going to say like, yeah, we're interested, but I can't tell you exactly how much. Like that's not, 
Yeah. <laughs> There's no yeah. way you're making you're basing your decision off of that. That's how people make decisions. You know, that's why at when at noon when the when the bell rings on July one, everybody's got a deal in place. Um, Still but unspoken. to me. Exactly. Oh, no, I secret. Think it, I think it's. I think it's spoken, and it's like an open secret. There um, you go. So, <clears throat> the interesting part to me is the kind of the tangled webs. So the Islanders are hot for Artemi Panarin. For they make their interest known the minute that the window opens. He doesn't visit them, but but they know Artemi Panarin's agent, Paul Theophanis, Sergei Bobrovsky, biggest goalie name on the market, not necessarily an Islanders target, but also in the mix there, agent. Paul Theophanis, Semyon Varlamov, maybe the next <laughs> next tier down of free agent goalies. Good career, but like I said, kind of coming off losing his job to Philip Grubauer in Colorado, been injured the year before, needing to reclaim his you know his status as a true number one reliable goalie. Agent Paul Theophanis. So you can imagine the conversations between Lou and Paul, who have a great relationship. Paul also represents Ilya Sorokin, uh, who is an Islanders draft pick who's been lighting up the KHL for the last few years, uh, another goalie who also happens to have a good relationship with Varlamov through their agent, Paul Theophanis. Um, <laughs> so uh, these conversations, you can only imagine what they go on, and we'll never find out because Lou no, yeah. doesn't tell anybody, and then everyone else is sworn to secrecy. So we can just sort of project what we think might have occurred in those conversations in that contact window as the Islanders are upping their offer to Panarin to 12, 12 and a half, whatever it was, and also possibly talking to him about a package deal with with his goalie, Semyon Varlamov. They couldn't afford Bobrovsky because if they bring in Bobrovsky, then Sorokin probably doesn't come over and he's maybe their best prospect. Yeah. So there's a lot of webs that they're weaving here between Lou and Theophanis and then Robin Leonard's caught in the middle here where he's looking for long-term deal and he clearly gets he gets a clear indication early in that contact period that it's not going to happen with the Islanders. Okay, he says, I'll take a shorter-term deal. I'll take two years. Maybe I'll even take one year because I love it here and I like this team and we did great things. And by the middle of that week, with all these conversations between Theophanis and Lamarillo, Robin Leonard doesn't even have an offer in hand at this point, and he's got to scramble around as we get close to July 1 and try to find another place that really is looking for looking for a Vezina finalist. It's amazing that this guy was one of the three finalists for the Vezina. I don't, never thought he was going to win, but he did get, did get a lot, plenty of hardware. He turned his life around. He's a young guy, 28, got a lot of skill, um, and there was, you know, not even Carolina. They they kind of stuck with what, with their, what they knew, so it was... Uh, it was an interesting week, um, and I think mentioning that Sorokin, I think the Varlamov contract plays into the Islanders' desire to have Sorokin come over. His KHL deal is up at the end of this season uh, with CSKA. Yeah. If they can entice him over here and have Varlamov and Sorokin, Sorokin's 24, and they can kind of pass the torch from Varlamov to this guy, um, you know, and maybe that's the long-term plan. And I'm sure you know Lou did admit this is this is part of the deal. Um, but for the right now, they need Varlamov to be the guy he was a couple of years ago in Colorado and the guy that he was starting to be in Washington a few years ago because they need, like you said, they need the continuity. If you're not going to have Robin Leonard, you got to still have the goaltending. And they still have Thomas Grice, who had a great year last year too. And, you know, the, the start split between Leonard and Grice was pretty much 50-50 until we got to the playoffs. So, uh, yeah, you know, the, the goaltending is a big piece of what they're doing defensively. And they weren't, you know, it wasn't, Dominic Hasek, they weren't like falling all over the place to make 15 saves in a row. It was a pretty strong structure, but they still need that first 
good save from their goaltender, and uh, and and I'm curious to see if Varlama can do it. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, that's having a mentor, especially for these guys coming over, whether it's Russia, Finland, whatever it may be, Germany, who, who cares, name a country. It's intimidating. It's very intimidating, and to have someone you're comfortable with, maybe they've already discussed uh, having a spare bedroom. In Varlamov's house over here, and having this Sorokin because that that you can't understate that one enough. Sorokin's the goalie of the future for the Islanders. Everybody's been talking about him now, and I'm sure uh, in Minnesota, uh, Kaprasov. They've been trying to get him over. There's so it's so difficult nowadays with some of the KHL teams because they're paying good money, and the guys are being able to live in their home country, hometown, and play for their own city. So you've got to make it as comfortable and as enticing as you possibly can if you want to bring those guys over. Yeah, yeah. It's and it, you know you, you know that they've got agents based over there whose agendas are very different than the agent based here, and it's uh, yep. it's definitely a, a tug of war at times. All right. Well, I think we've gone up and down the roster pretty well. Where do you see this team finishing? They're coming off uh, a year that nobody expected from them, a sweep that nobody expected from them of of you know a team that have won two Stanley Cups a couple of years earlier. Uh, and then they got swept by a team that was probably not that much better than them. Um, so there's a lot to chew over. There's a lot of, there's a lot of continuity on the roster and behind the bench. Where do you see these guys finishing this year, Mark? Oh, it's a, the, the, you look at Washington, Carolina from the metropolitan, I, I would probably slide them in. If, if they can com- continue to play that defensive style and start to, gain confidence in that the offense will come with that. I can see them slide in right around Washington, Carolina Islanders right there. Three in the metropolitan. Yeah, that's, that's where I picked them too. It's uh, I think that's, I have that exact one, two, three. I, I kind of feel like Pittsburgh, you know, maybe the, the getting swept was, uh, was kind of the tipping point for them. I mean, they, they got rid of Kessel. Jim Rutherford loves to tinker. So I, you know, the team that they've got right now may not be the team that they have by the middle of this season, but uh but I think they're still they're still counting on a lot from their two big guys, and and they're yep. getting a little older. And I just don't know that the depth is there for them to to keep up over the full eighty two. Um, I think Philly's improved. Like I said, Elaine Vigneault is a guy who doesn't miss the playoffs. Um, I think they've got enough there to 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 make the big jump up. And Carter Hart's kind of the the wild card and net there for them. Yeah, the Rangers and the Rangers and the Devils have changed a lot and improved a lot. People are real high on the Devils. I'm a little more cautious because they didn't do anything with their goaltending, which was really bad last oof, year. Oof. Um, and Corey Schneider's not a young guy, so I, I'd be interested to see if he can turn it around. Um, if he can't, then I think they're just going to be fun to watch because they've got a lot of skill, but um, <laughs> not a whole lot else. And I and I wonder how long you know before Subban wears out his welcome because I don't know if it'll be that quick, but he seems to have it seems to have happened a couple times before. So. Um, yeah, I think I think you know, and then Columbus, which still has some good guys, even though they lost a ton of people, and and Torts, uh, you know, has a has a younger group to crack the crack the whip on, and um, but yeah, I, I kind of see the Islanders, you know, that that we were talking the theme of younger players and and kind of overvaluing uh, overvaluing younger guys versus savvy veterans. I think with all this change in the division. It's going to take a lot of teams some time to gel a little bit if they are going to gel, whether it's the Rangers or the Devils or, or Philly or Columbus. And that's a lot of teams that the Islanders are going to see a lot. You know, I think mm-hmm. I think there's something to be said for stability. Now, when we're talking about the playoffs, it's a very different story. But I think for a regular season with a team that knows 
that people are underestimating them again, and they know that they can do the work necessary because they just did it a year ago. And, um, you know, injuries are always an X factor. Um, there's all kinds of things that, that can complicate that, that situation. But I, I tend to feel like they're going to be the same level of going to win some ugly games. They're going to get some saves and some timely goals from unlikely people. And, uh, and yeah, I, you know, third, second, third, that seems pretty realistic to me. Yeah, I, I love the confidence that they're going to come in after last season, after figuring out D-Zone. And, and that was a great thing about it with the coach's first year, the confidence. The wins came right away. So instantly everybody bought in, and they have that chemistry, they have that character, and they have their systems in place. And like I said, now it's just taking another step. Yeah, you know, I was funny talking to Anders Lee um, soon after he signed just to kind of dig into the whole process because it was a it was a bit of a wild one with him to when he got to got to free agency even though he didn't ever plan on leaving um (laughs) you know just just looking at it as you know he's the captain now he's been the captain for a long time and and his attitude of uh, you know people doubted us last year and we did it kind of quietly and confidently and this year we've kind of gone back to the same spot and he said all right if you want us to do it again we'll do it again and uh you know i think He's the right guy to, to be wearing the C with that team because he's a guy who, you know, has kind of worked his way up from being someone who people didn't think was going to be much of a hockey player to being a 40-goal scorer, being a guy who is expected to score 30 every year. Um, and he's, you know, he's such a, you know, you know him well. He's such a yep. straight arrow, upstanding guy. There's not a lot of nuance or deception to him. He's, he's, very, he's very important to the, the closeness in this room. Uh, that he they just have and then, oozes character. Yeah, just oozes he really does. So much of it. it's coming out of his ears. <laughs> he is. He is the square jawed, you know, Captain America. So, uh, <laughs> uh, and where do you see the league? You know, I, I guess we can kind of do. You know, maybe we'll just do like East Final, West Final, Cup Final. Who you kind of see as the as the teams to beat? Uh, I didn't. I know Islander fans aren't going to like this, but Toronto's right up at the top of the East. <laughs> Toronto, Boston, Tampa Bay. Uh, you can't, you know, Washington, obviously, you can't ignore a team that won a Stanley Cup two years ago. Uh, in the West, man, the wild, wild West is just crazy. I see Dallas picking it up. I think they're yeah. going to be much, much closer to the top. Uh, and, man, it, you could, I wouldn't be surprised if the Western Conference, the team that finishes 12th or 13th, would only be a couple of points out in the Eastern Conference. It's just so crazy out there. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah that's cent- uh, that Central Division is uh is a tight one. You know, Chicago seems like they've managed to rejigger their lineup to, to be a little bit more competitive. And, uh, you know, Winnipeg maybe took a step back and all the other teams seem to have taken a step forward. So who knows? It's, uh, yeah. it's wild. I think I, I'm going to go with, uh, Dallas over Tampa in my, uh, in my cup final. Ooh. I, I just think Dallas is the team that's the most like the Islanders, which is the team I watch the most in terms of their defensive structure. And then you add in a guy like Joe Pavelski, who, you know, when you get a, I don't love teams that that make wholesale changes in the off season where you got five or six key guys that come in. But if you bring in one key guy, especially a guy like that, who's, another captain, yeah, another captain. He's never won it. He's got the fire. He's still got some skill. Um, and I love Miro Heiskanen. That kid is unbelievable. Like if Noah Dobson, who's the same age as him, could be. Three quarters of what Heiskanen does for Dallas, <laughs> the Islanders are set for a long time. Uh, you know, I, I, Heiskanen was my Calder Trophy winner, and people were mocking me on Twitter because I didn't take what? Pedersen in Vancouver. 
I'm like, I, I never played, so it's hard for, you know, I just listen to what the what the other guys tell me. I remember Barzell telling me after they were out in Dallas saying, that kid is legit. Like, he plays like a 30-year-old guy who's been playing 20 minutes a night for 10 years. It's unbelievable how smart he is. And I saw, if, if he's good enough for Matthew Barzell, he's good enough for me for to give my vote. So, um uh, we yeah. agree on another thing. I actually picked him as a Calder winner, too. I, hey. I, to, to go back, it's harder to learn how to play defense in the NHL. So for him to step right in, holy cow, it just blew my mind. He just kept getting better and better and better and better the whole year. Yeah, they've got it. And that's a good group. And, and they've got Bishop in that. Uh, you know, Jim Montgomery seems like a, a fantastic coach. I, I kind of see them coming out of that mess in the Central, maybe nosing out Colorado in a, in a conference semifinal um beating vegas in the conference final because i that pacific as good as the central as the pacific is kind of iffy to me that there's probably a couple of good teams vegas and san jose and then a lot of question marks um and then uh, in the east i've got uh, i'll take tampa over uh probably washington just because they're they're to me right now the best team in the you know in that in that uh, metro division and um uh, yeah, Dallas over Tampa, little little sunshine states, uh, the the no tax state final or whatever you want to call it. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think we've covered the Islanders ahead of the opener, and we've covered the league ahead of the opener. There was one more thing uh, with your incredible experience and expertise that I wanted to get to was talking about the Austin Matthews situation, where he was arrested over the summer for criminal mischief or whatever you want to call it in Arizona, kind of harassing a, a security guard at his, uh, his condo, uh, didn't tell the Leafs. They found it. They say they found out about it last week when it became public knowledge, which is astonishing to me that a huge organization like that wouldn't have someone who's checking the court databases in every town where all of their players live, whether it's, you know, St. Petersburg, Russia or Scottsdale, Arizona, but that's a whole other story. Um, I, I'm just curious for you, uh, whether you've ever been in a situation like that where you've had a guy commit an indiscretion or in this case a, an actual crime where he's got to go to court and how does that how does that play in the room i mean we we all as as fans and media people on the outside kind of you know there's always been that boys will be boys attitude towards professional athletes and and that fortunately i think is changing now but uh but in the room it still could probably cause some consternation when you've got media people asking about it asking the guy who sits next to him about it or how it affects anything. Is there an effect? And, and if, especially if it's a young star player like that, do you see that room kind of, um, you know, just being unable to handle it, I guess? Not at all. Uh, it, things happen and uh, hockey players, they're, they're your family for nine months out of the year. They're your family. You see them more than you do your, your wife and your kids. I see the one thing that uh, would probably have to be discussed is, why the Sam hell didn't you tell us? Because <laughs> you want to help him. You want you want to pr- help protect him. When you're caught off guard, you're like, wait, what? I don't, you know, so it, it just sets everybody off guard, puts you back on your heels. The organization can't be prepared for it, can't get ahead of it, so to speak. And your teammates can't either. So it's, it's a conversation where you're like, he's going to have to apologize, obviously, to the, to the team, to the owner. I mean, just because it's just stupidity. It's just young stupidity. And... Don't do it again. But next time anybody does this, for the love of God, tell us so we can do something <laughs> about it. As the more, but the main thing is you want to help them. You, it, it's your teammate. It's your brother. Everybody makes mistakes. You get it. Some bigger than others. But still, you've got to keep it in that room, and you've got to bring everybody included and help. It, it bring, helps with that character and the chemistry of the room. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it, it seems to me, you know, it's, it's, it's a terrible thing, stupid thing and terrible thing what he did, you know, he deserves yep. to pay a, pay a penalty for it. And if the penalty was not being named Leafs captain, well, too bad. Like, don't be a, don't be a dumbass. Basically, I think is the guiding principle that we all tell our kids and our <laughs> other family members and a coach would tell his players if he has young guys on his team. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, I'm sure that, you know, he, he scored two goals in the opener. It's not like it's, it's clearly not affecting him. Um, but oh, yeah, the players forgave him instantly. I mean, the players, as soon as you hear it, you forgive him. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's your family, it's your brother. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think fans, you know, it, it's, it's probably hard for a lot of fans to hear something like that because, you know, you, especially people who hate the Leafs, which are a lot of people out there and probably a lot yes, of people li- listening to this one. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's a good perspective to have that, you know, you think about it, you know, if it was my brother that did that or, my, you know, someone in my family, my nephew, my son, um, you know, you want them to face their face up to the punishment that they're going to get, but also to protect them a little bit. And it's it's just exactly. natural, even even if it doesn't sound like the greatest thing in the world. Um, well, I think we've gone on pretty long here. I like it. But uh, yeah. but we covered a lot. And uh, I think we're. Uh, we're off to a good start here with this No Sleep Till Belmont thing. What do you think? Awesome. Man. It was fun. I can't believe how quick that hour went. <laughs> well, we've got a lot uh, a lot for people to listen to and a lot more to come. So uh, good job, Mark. Uh, I'm excited for what we got to come. And we've got some games coming up before we do this again. So uh, we'll talk to everybody next week. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Thanks, Arthur.